You're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series on Ephesians. Thanks for joining me, Nathan Johnson, in an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Let's dive into the lesson for the day. Welcome to Lesson 6 of the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series in the book of Ephesians. We are focused in the blessing section found in chapter 1, verse 3, all the way to verse 14. Now, in the last several studies, we focused on Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, and I would like to go back there for just one more study. Now, the reason we are spending so much time in this verse is because it is central to understanding the entire blessing section. See, without properly understanding verse 3, you'll miss the emphasis of what it means to live in the blessings of God. And you'll just kind of run wild with it all. So as a quick review, in these verses, verse 3 through verse 14, Paul lists the blessings that God has for you. Now, again, this is not a complete list, but it is an incredible summary of his blessings on our behalf that he's just like pouring out for us. And every single blessing, get this, finds its fulfillment in one single place, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if you missed lesson four, I I encourage you to go back and listen to it as it lays the foundation and the groundwork for which we're going to build upon in our lesson today. Now, again, verse three gives the context or the, the overview, if you will, for the entire blessing section. So let me just read it to you really quick so it's fresh in our minds. So this is Ephesians chapter one, verse three. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, last time, uh, we looked at this idea of of the blessing itself. And we were looking at, there there are three words for blessing in this passage. One is an adjective, one is a verb, and one's a noun. So Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, And it's an adjective. It's describing who God is. Paul says that God is blessed. That he doesn't just have blessing, that in and of himself he is the blessed one. And then, of course, the picture is here's God sitting upon a throne and just emanating out of him is this, this haze, this, in, this atmosphere, this, this fog, if you will, of blessing. He is blessed. Now, he goes on and says, who has blessed us, which is a verb. It's like this blessing that God is, this blessed God who is sitting upon his throne. See, something just bubbles up within him and he just can't contain himself. Oh, he has to do something about it. So what does he do? Oh, he speaks forth blessing. Now, what is the blessing that he's pronouncing? Well, that's the third blessing. It's a noun. He says, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And it's this idea that every blessing that God has for you is contained in this heavenly realms that we talked about last time. And it's this phenomenal idea that every single blessing that God has for you is contained in one single place. It's Jesus himself. God does not give you things he gives you Jesus, which becomes everything that you need. As 2 Peter, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, that in, in Christ is all things that you need for life and for godliness. Well, I want to go and I want to look at this phrase, in Christ. So here is this blessed God who is speaking forth blessing, and he's like giving you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. Now, you realize that this phrase, in Christ, really is the heart of the entire epistle of Ephesians. See, Paul, it just goes overboard on this idea that your position is in Christ. In fact, I found 34 times in these first three chapters 
where Paul uses the language of in Christ, in him, in whom. Do you realize that your position as a believer is in Christ Jesus? That, that, is, that is where you remain. That is where you sink down into. See, that, that, is, that is what clarifies and identifies our life. In fact, 12 times in these first 12 verses, this blessing section, Paul uses that phrase, in Christ, in whom? That's, that's one time per verse. Isn't that amazing? Now, it's not in every verse for clarity's sake, but it's used 12 times in those 12 verses. That's an incredible reality. It's as if Paul is saying, don't miss it. Don't miss this. Your position, your life is to be found in Christ. I, I looked it up. Someone once said that the phrase in Christ is found 160 times in the New Testament. And I, I didn't count them all, so I don't know if that's true. But when you look at the just the tenor of the New Testament, what you begin to realize is that in Christ is like the undercurrent or the foundation or the, the reality of the Christian life. Now, the word in Christ, it's really interesting. The word in, in Greek, is spelled E-N, not like our I-N. And in, I love this idea. It, the primary idea of the word in is this idea of rest. See, there's other words that talk about to move in and out of something. For example, there's a Greek word called ice, E-I-S, and it means to go into or unto something. Uh, for example, I'm going into the room. So what I do, I, I iced it. Right? There's a word ek, ek, or ek, and it means to come out of or from something. So when I leave the room and I'm going into somewhere else, I'm ek, eking, if you will. But in, see, what's interesting about the word in, it implies no motion. It's this idea of remaining in place. It's, it's this idea of resting. In fact, it reminds me of that abiding idea in John chapter 15. See, the idea of abiding, though it's a different word, it's this idea of sinking down into, it's to remain fixed in place. It's refusing to depart where you're at. And I love this idea about the abiding concept is when I'm abiding in Jesus Christ, who is the vine, then the life-giving resource of him that's flowing into my life, the branch, produces the fruit. See, what comes out of your life, the fruit, is result of the life within. And do you realize that you are to be in Christ, which means the life, the reality, this, this resting in him produces something that comes out of your life. I love that idea. So I'm going to give you three concepts, uh, three ideas to kind of put handles, if you will, to this idea of in Christ. So number one, the induction. If being in Christ is so important, well, how does one become in Christ? When you look at the book of Romans, it's interesting that Romans chapter 5 and 6 says that it is through the work of Christ upon the cross that you find the means of salvation. That it is his working on your behalf. This is not your effort. This is not your ability. This is him doing something radical in and through your life. In other words, that he is the one producing or bringing you to the state of being in Christ. At the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2, in our book, our in our book, in our study, it says that you are dead in your trespasses and sins. In other words, my life is, is, is just full of deadness. I, I'm full of sin. I'm literally in, in opposition to God himself. But he, Paul goes on and says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace 
you have been saved. And Paul goes on in verse 8 and he says again, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So you get this idea that salvation and finding your position in Christ is not something that you can accomplish, whether it be through your self-effort or your wisdom, your talent, your ability, or your whatever. See, it is Christ's working in your life. Well, what part do you have? (laughs) Well, I love this idea. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 13, Paul says that if you would confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In like manner, Acts chapter 15, verse 11 says, But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. And Acts chapter 16, verse 31 exhorts, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So again, this is not self-effort or ability. This is God working in you. But it is you who are called to believe, to hold tight to, to embrace the living God and his work done on your behalf. In John chapter 20, verse 31, John is given his reason for writing the book. And he says this, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I've used this illustration before, but imagine you're up in this plane and, and uh, we're, you know, we're up pretty high and I open up the side door and I say, hey, look at this phenomenal, phenomenal picture, this, this vista, if you will. And as you kind of lean out to look, I, I come up behind you and go, poof, and I push you out the plane. And here you are, you're falling down and I go over and I grab a parachute and I throw it out behind you. And here you are and here's the parachute and you're falling down and I yell out the airplane, do you believe in the parachute? Of course, you look up at the parachute and say, yes, I believe. Do you realize that's not what John's asking you to do? John says, I'm writing this book that you might believe in Christ Jesus and by believing you might have life. But do you realize that believing is not just some mental ascent. It's not just looking at the parachute saying, yep, it's there. Woo, well done. There it is. I can see my salvation. That the idea of the parachute is that I am to put on the parachute, that if I'm going to believe, I put on the parachute and I hold tight to it as my means, my sole means of salvation. Well, how do you find yourself in Christ? Well, it's you believe, you put on the parachute, you, you put on the Lord Jesus Christ as your sole means of salvation. That I'm to live in faith, in the faith of his sufficient work upon the cross. And as Romans 6 verse 11 declares that I am to reckon, which is an accounting term meaning to count, to take into account, to determine or to apply, that I am to reckon the death and life of Jesus as my own, that his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his life are now mine. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And he continues in verse 21, giving the answer to why you can be a new creation. He says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So do you realize that it is God's work on your behalf and that I merely just have to hold tight. I must believe in and I must reckon his work in my life. So what then is the induction to being in Christ? 
It's not my work, but it's his. Though I must believe, obey, and live by faith in him. So to go back to that vine and branch illustration from John 15, Jesus provides the life. He provides the resource to produce fruit in and through my life. But I must remain and abide in him. I must not depart. I must rest, sink down into, hold on for dear life, and be in the vine. So it's this idea of the induction that, that to be in Christ, it's not self-effort. It's not your ability. It's his ability working on your behalf. You merely must believe and apply that to your life and say, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm taking this truth and saying, yes, Jesus, you died on my behalf and I do find myself in you for that's what your word says. So number one, the induction. Number two that I want to kind of give you this handle on is the idea of the indwelling. Do you realize that there are two sides to being in Christ and both are essential to the Christian life? See, not only is my life and position in him, but his life is within me. Uh, imagine if I jumped into a swimming pool. You realize that I am in the swimming pool, but hopefully the pool is not in me. Though I will admit as a kid, I swallowed a lot of pool water jumping into it. See, the essence of Christianity is not only my life being in Christ, but it's his life indwelling my own via the Holy Spirit, which is his spirit. It's his life and his nature. See, Paul in Galatians 2.20 declares, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 says that the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So just as the presence of God filled the temple in the Old Testament, so too he fills my life. For do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, says Paul. So you recognize that the end result of the indwelling life of Christ within you via his Holy Spirit is to produce the life and the character of Christ in you. See, God doesn't leave you where you're at. He, he is interested in growing and maturing you after the likeness of Christ. As Paul said in Ephesians 4, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. So get this idea that when we're talking about being in Christ, yes, I, my position, my, my life is found in Christ Jesus. But the flip side of that is his life is in me. That he has dumped forth his spirit, his Holy Spirit in my life, who is resourcing and bringing about the reality and the life of Christ within me. When you look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul is commanding us to have the mind of Christ. Now, interestingly, the, the word there for mind, which is sometimes translated attitude, is the Greek word phroneo, which gives this idea of, not just mind or attitude, but an orientation and a focus of living. See, we're not just to have the mind and the attitude of Jesus, though that is, hey, that's tremendous and that's available. But see, I'm to have his orientation and his focus. And in this passage, 
This word, now don't get lost, but the word for mind is in a present passive imperative. Let me explain that really quick. It's an imperative, which means it's a command. So Paul is commanding you, have the mind of Christ. This is not an option. Hey, this is not, think about it, ponder it, decide if you want it. He is commanding you to have the mind of Jesus. It's in the present tense, which in the Greek has this idea of it's the now, it's present, but it has continued progression. In other words, whenever you're in the present, this is to be true in your life. So is it true right now? Yep. 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 Will it be true in five years? Yes. Why? Because you will be in the present at that point. So whenever you find yourself in the present reality, which is where you always live, then you are to have the mind of Christ. Not just his mind gets you, not just his attitude, but his orientation, his focus, his very life. Now, what's interesting is this word is in the passive. And it's, it's kind of hard to understand the passive in the normal sense. So let me give you a quick illustration. This is an old, old classic illustration. The illustration is, uh, here's little Timmy. He's playing baseball. And little Timmy hits the ball. So the subject, Timmy, is actively doing the work. He's doing the action. And he hits the ball. See, that's the active tense or, or the active. In, in the passive, you realize that the passive, the subject receives the action. In other words, this is not something that Timmy does. He receives it. So in this case, the ball hit Timmy. Think about this. Paul says, I'm commanding you, have the orientation, have the focus, have the phroneo of Jesus. But this is not something that you produce. This is not grit your teeth and to pull this off. All right, I'm going to have the mind of Christ. All right, here we go. Here's the mind of Christ. See, you, you can't do that. It's passive, which means you must receive it. Do you realize that the only way that you're ever going to have the life, the orientation, the mind, the, the attitude, the focus of Jesus is when you allow him to produce that in you. When, when you come in a surrender and abiding dependency that just says, God, I, I, I am lacking. I need you. I'm desperate for your life. Will you come and would you fill me with your very presence? And in so doing, would you produce your life within me? And you realize that is then that you will receive the phroneo of Jesus and you will have his orientation in life. It all comes back to this idea of the indwelling. So we had the induction, we had the indwelling, and number three, it's the identity. You realize that if you are truly in Christ, then that reality, that position is going to identify you. It's going to define you. One of my favorite people from Christian history, Ian Thomas, he once rightly stated that the only explanation for your life is to be Jesus, that Jesus is to be your identity, that when someone looks at your life, they should go, wow, I, I don't understand how you're living your life. And the only explanation I can describe it is it must be God. Wouldn't that be amazing if the identity of your life was defined by Jesus himself? I want that. If I am found in Christ and his life indwells my own, it cannot be contained. It will express itself just as what's in a toothpaste tube. When you squeeze the toothpaste tube, it reveals itself. Whatever's in there it comes out. And you realize that life is going to put pressure upon you and your life is going to be squeezed. The question's not, well, am I going to be squeezed? The question's, what's going to come out when I am squeezed? And if I am in Christ and Christ is in me and I am squeezed, guess what's going to be revealed? Oh, him. Why? Because he defines my life. So think about this. What if my life, what if your life 
was so wrapped up in Jesus that his life became our identity. What, what, if, what if I was known as a Christian, not because I wore the Christian t-shirt or carried around a big family Bible or hung a cross about my neck. What if everyone around me knew I was a Christian because of the life within me? Jesus in John chapter 13, verse 35, looked at his disciples and he said this, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And love, you understand, isn't just some mere emotion. It is the very character and the nature of the living God. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 and 16, John writes that God is love. It's not an emotion. It's the very nature of God himself. And Jesus says, do you realize the world around you is going to see your love for one another and go, wow, you must be a disciple. You must be a Christian. Why? Because there's something on the inside being revealed on the outside. So what if the world around you knew that you were a Christian because you were filled with his nature and his character? See, I desperately want that to be said about my life. And I want that for you. May our lives be found in Christ Jesus. Mm. Well, in our next study, we're going to jump into verse 4 and look and begin to examine this actual blessings that God has for us. And as usual, if you'd like to get a jump start on the study, here's a couple things. One, I would encourage you to read the entire book of Ephesians this week, preferably every day if possible. Two, I want you to saturate, soak, and just begin to study this passage of blessings from verse 3 through verse 14. And I would encourage you to do a study in verse 4 and examine what does it mean to be chosen before the foundation of the world. And thanks for joining me for today's study. If you'd like to see an outline of the study or read a commentary version of the passage, well, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians 06 for lesson 6. Also, these weekly studies are available in audio format by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes, or by visiting deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. And until next time, know I am cheering you on as you build your life around Jesus Christ. See you then. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you would like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus Christ, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you would like to view the video version of this study, you can do so at deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians.